Thank you, uh, John, for leading today and for speaking last week, letting my wife and I get away for our anniversary a month late, uh, but we enjoyed our time away. And I watched our service, and the opening illustration that John used last week about uh, fission and fusion uh, involved lasers, and I had planned to talk about lasers in my uh, opening illustration. If you take a 40-watt light bulb, uh, some of these, probably the lights above you are each uh, 40 watts, and you focus that 40 watts into a laser one center uh, point, you should be able to cut paper and cardboard. And uh, some laser surgeries use a 40-watt uh, laser to perform or cauterize, or I won't get into details, uh, surgery. To cut thin metal, you'll have to have 300 watts, which is uh, roughly uh, how, how bright some of your spotlights are on your house to shine a part of your yard up or your driveway. But if you take that and, and focus that to one point, 300 watts, you'll be able to start be able to cut metal. Um, and what's the difference between 40 watts of light that shines and 40 watts that's centered on one point? It's precision and precision that's powerful. And you heard last week a message on the power of God's Word. And power without precision is pretty scary. If you have power, um, and we heard, you hear the expression, a bull in the china shop, there is power without precision. If you have a sumo wrestler, though, that can hold a small infant and be gentle, there is power with precision. And what God's Word is, very powerful. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, and you heard it last week, and a sword, and extremely powerful. And today we're going to look at our final message for our uh, intro for the year, uh, studying God's Word together from Psalm 19. And you heard from Psalm 19 about general revelation, a revelation that God has revealed, His glory, in verse 1, from the sky above proclaims his handiwork, the heavens declare the glory of God. Every day the skies and the, the uh, firmament is showing that God is glorious. Every night you go out, that's a clear sky that you can see the millions and billions of stars and some galaxies out there. Night to night reveals God's knowledge, and we should be in awe of Him. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth. All of creation points us in one direction, to God and His glory. But no one is saved from their sin by looking at stars, by looking at the ocean, by studying microbiology or studying through a telescope, no one comes to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior because God's Word and God's creation isn't just powerful and pointing us toward His glory. We need more than just general creation, general revelation. We have a more precise Word, a more precise way to look at life than just generally looking out and say, 
wow, the snow is very white. And it is. There's nothing whiter than snow. It's glorious out there. The sky is glorious. The sun is glorious. The moon is glorious. The stars are glorious. Our bodies are glorious, the way that God designed them. Even the hairs of our head are numbered. That's glory. But we don't see in creation that we are sinners. And the things that we do that are sin, like lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, coveting, taking God's name in vain, how do we know those things are sin? Because a precise word of God tells us they offend God. They diminish the glory of God in this world. So the precision of the word of God is what is at stake, is what we see in Psalm 19. And when we get to general revelation, that's good. Verse 6 is, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, this is the glory of God in, in the sun. But now he goes from general revelation to, and this is David, to very precise God speaking. Now David has limited access to the old part of the Old Testament. He doesn't have everybody who, all the, the prophets who write after him, and he writes around 1000 B.C. He doesn't have the benefit of all of the, the writers after him, nor does he have the benefit of any of the New Testament. It's not at his disposal. He can't read it. It's still in his future. But what revelation David does have the Holy Spirit inspires David to write, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. You can look up on YouTube and find a song that goes with this. So verse 7 is the, is the uh, stanza of the song, and it goes something like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's the stanza. And then the chorus is verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Drippings didn't fit in, so it got uh, cut out. But uh, it is probably the King James Version of that. So I learned that as a kid. And I can't read Psalm 19 now without hearing that song. And maybe I just got that stuck in your head. So go find it on YouTube, sing along. Uh, but it's a great song. This is a song that you want stuck in your head. Why? Why do you want these kind of lyrics not being able to get out of your, out of your mind? Because what are those lyrics pointing to? The precision of the Word of God. Studying God's Word together 
We saw in the first two weeks, uh, the 1st and the 8th of January, that God's Word must be a priority from Psalm 119. Last week you saw God's Word is powerful, and this week we see finally that God's Word is precise. The precision of the Word of God is better than a laser to perform surgery. And we're going to see why. What are the benefits of a perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true word from God? Why did God give us a word, the word, and not a movie? Now, I have watched most of The Chosen, but it's lacking. I'll just leave it there. It leaves me wanting the Word. I watch it, and then I'm like, I don't think Jesus would have said that that way. I don't think, I think Jesus said more in the Sermon on the Mount that they cut out some things that were pretty important, like unless you're perfect, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. If you cut out the gospel, whoa, okay, I'm going to struggle with that. God doesn't give us a movie because we can interpret a movie. God doesn't give us art that we can look at on a wall. We don't know how tall Jesus was, what color his skin or what color his hair was like. We don't know what his facial features were like other than he wasn't attractive. That's all we know from uh, uh, Isaiah 53. So we have a precise word. We also have exactly what God wants us to know from the Word. This is why we study it together, because of its precision. You and I, at times, need surgery. And if you're sitting in a dental chair, and if you watch your dentist, and they have these glasses now that have thick magnifiers on them so that they can be, they can look inside and your teeth and the black part of your teeth or whatever needs a filling looks really big to them. You're glad they have those on. If you go into a dentist's office and they don't have any eye gear on and they're like, eh, we'll get in there, we'll get something done. You're like, eh, nope. (laughs) Dentist's office near me. I'm going to find something different because this person is not going to be precise. If you're nervous about another surgery and a doctor comes in and says, hey, I have done this surgery many times and I have great success and if you want to see the tools and you're really into that and they show you the scalpel or other things that they use, those instruments that they use for performing surgery are very precise. You don't want someone in surgery pulling out a chainsaw. Like, whoa, 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 this is not going to be good. I'm going to have part of me all over this room. It's not going to work. Chainsaws aren't for precision. I say, yeah, what about the carving? Okay, that, that aside. That's still not precise. If you're doing carving, you're going to do really small chisels to make it look really precise. So the precision of the Word of God is something that we need because we need surgery. As we heard this morning, sin, we sin because sin is in our hearts and it comes out our mouths and it comes out of our lives. And our hearts are clean, yes, but we, our flesh struggles with sin constantly. 
And we need the law of the Lord. We need God's word. So what do we see here in these three verses in particular, 7, 8, and 9? The law of the Lord is perfect. That word, it means without defect. It's blameless. Because the law of the Lord is perfect, it's without defect. There's nothing wrong with God's law. What can we expect it to do? Because it is perfect, it revives. That word means to bring back to its purpose or to bring back, what's the purpose of God's law? To bring you back to himself. When you and I give, if we're parents and we give our kids laws to obey, it's not that we want to make their life miserable. It's that we don't want them to walk away from God or even walk away from us. That we want to have unity and a a relationship. And God's law tells us how to have a relationship with Him. And there's nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. It's blameless. And when we agree with God that the law of God is perfect, you know what it does for us? It helps to restore our relationship with God. God's law is perfect. It revives what is once dead. It brings people back to life with God, how God intended. When you and I share the gospel, share the Ten Commandments with people. Show them how they are guilty of breaking God's law and how Christ perfectly obeyed God's law and gives you the way, the one way back to God to restore your relationship with God. Breaking God's law breaks relationships, strains relationships, causes relationships to struggle. Just try lying. Try living with a liar. It's very difficult. God's law is perfect. It revives, it restores a life with God. Second, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Sure is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. It is not counterfeit. It is genuine. It is worth putting your trust in. God's testimony, testifying about the Lord. And you'll notice here, all these Lords are capital L-O-R-D. God is perfectly faithful to His people. This is God's covenant name with His people. This is what Jesus says, I am He is claiming this title, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He's claiming the title Jehovah or the I Am. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life and I am all those things in the New Testament and in the Gospel of John, he is saying that he is the Lord. So the testimony about the Lord is sure. It's trustworthy. And when you and I put our trust in the word of the Lord, you know what it does? It makes you wise. If you don't trust in the Lord and you lean on your own understanding, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be foolish. That's what David's saying here. Pretty simple. Making wise this simple. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. They are rejoicing the heart. I live in an older house, and what I expect in an older house is nothing is straight or level. If you ever do work on an old house, you expect floors to slope, 
Walls will not be good. There's not 16 inches between studs in the wall. Nothing is like what you would, how they, they didn't have codes back then in 1750, okay? So nothing is straight and level. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging to do construction like that. If you are work in the trades and you work on a house that you're unpredictable, it's difficult. But this is not, this is, the, this is this word. God's word, the precepts of the Lord are right. That means they're straight and they're level. Everything perfectly right. How it should be. Nothing wrong with God. It's blameless with God's word. It's perfect. It's trustworthy. And now it's right. It's straight. It's level. And what? And if you do get to work on a house where things are straight and level, you know what you do? You rejoice. Oh, wow. There are actually 16 inches between centers. Oh, wow. They did everything right to code. Oh, this is great. And if you work with people that are working with houses, they love this. When you and I look at God's word, the precepts of the Lord, they're straight and they're level. They're not crooked. They're not perverse. They're not deceitful. And because of that, it causes our heart to rejoice. If you studied your Bible this week with Matthew 11 to 16 or other passages that you read, and you compare God's word with all the news, everything else, all the information that you're getting. There is one bit of information, what you read here, you're like, oh, this causes me to rejoice. And where does the rejoicing start? It says here, it rejoices the heart. Rejoicing from the inside out. As you and I look at God's word, it goes in our minds, it goes down to our hearts. And as we see, as we compare it, with life and how things really are. And we say, there is nothing wrong with this word. This is right. This is straight. This is level. I can understand this. And it causes our heart to rejoice. Next phrase of verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. You think bright, white, clean, like snow that hasn't been stepped in. That's this word, pure. We love things that are pure, especially when it comes to, I don't know, your toothbrush. If your toothbrush is not pure, not going to use it. Going to get another one straight out of the package. It's going to be pure. It's also this idea of bright, clean, radiant. God's commandments are pure. And when we see the pure commandments, the bright, radiant, clean, pure word of the Lord, what do our eyes do? It enlightens our eyes. You go from, I got to get up today. I got to do this. I got to go to work with those people again. I got to deal with my kids. I got to deal with my grandkids. I deal with other people's grandkids. I got to go to church. I got to uh, sit and listen to those people sing. And you, you can get pretty discouraged with your eyes until you look at God's Word and you realize it's radiant, it's bright, it's clean, it's pure. And it lights up your eyes. 
like the eyes of a little person around a Christmas tree when they think they're getting their favorite toy ever. And their eyes light up. That's what God's Word does for adults. As we sit every day and look at God's Word, your eyes light up. Why? Because God's Word is bright and clean, radiant. It not only causes your life to be revived and your mind to be wise and your heart to rejoice, it also causes your eyes to be lightened. It reflects on our faces. Well, you can tell now when someone is looking at a screen down here, and I don't have a screen, but if I had a screen, it reflects on my face. You can tell, oh, there's an unnatural glow on the, on the face of the speaker because they're looking at a screen. And for the Christian, those who know God and see His Word, there's an unnatural good glow on our faces because that's what God's commandments do because they are pure. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When I first read this, and when I still keep studying this, I'm like, verse 9 doesn't fit. He's talking about the Word of God, and he slips in this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And you're thinking, is that a synonym for God's Word? So I look at context. Did he change from God's Word to something else? Well, verse 9 ends with, the rules of the Lord are true. No, he didn't change. Okay, so we have to conclude as we're studying God's Word that the fear of the Lord has to be a synonym for God's Word. You know, it's nowhere else in God's Word called the fear of the Lord. We saw all the other things that we have seen in this passage in Psalm 119 many times. But let me remind you that in Genesis 31, 42, as Jacob is talking with Laban, he calls God the Lord and calls him the God of my father Abraham and the fear of Isaac. God is called by name Jacob to Laban while Isaac is alive. He calls God the fear of Isaac in Genesis 31. That's fascinating because God isn't elsewhere called the fear of a person. But Isaac's still alive, and if you were to look at Isaac's life, Jacob concludes, my dad fears God. So Isaac is a God-fearing man. So when I think of God, I think of the person who my dad fears. That's probably how to look at it. So here, what do we do with the fear of the Lord? Over 300 times we are told to fear God in the pages of Scripture. It is not a minor command. It's a major command. And if you and I will look at God's Word, and we'll read it this year, you know what you're going to see over 300 times? The fear of the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament. You'll see it. Look for it. We saw it last week on Wednesday morning, Wednesday night in 1 Chronicles 13. Where did it show up? 
David fears God by, right after God kills Uzzah for touching the Ark of the Covenant. It showed up. You'll see the fear of the Lord over and over again. So, when you look at God's Word, what you'll see is the fear of the Lord. It's not misnamed here. How we look at God's Word and how we, when we are done looking at God's Word, we should conclude there is a lot of fearing God here. That's right. And someone who knows God's Word and walks with God for their whole lifetime, you know what's going to be true in their lives? They fear God. So they, the fear of the Lord is a synonym here for God's Word. And the fear of the Lord is clean. That means a ceremonial cleansing, and able to be in the presence of a fearful God. God's Word makes you ready for God's presence. So it endures forever. See, uncleanness was a cause for temporary departure from God's presence. And if you were living in the Old Testament, every time you were unclean, you had to go outside the city, you had to perform a, a ritual cleansing uh, and be unclean for a certain number of days. But God's Word, the fear of the Lord, is ceremonially clean. It's always clean. It's only clean. And it doesn't last, this cleanliness doesn't last temporarily until we get unclean again or we touch something that we shouldn't touch. No, God's Word endures forever. It enables us to be in God's presence. It makes us clean. And finally, 9b, second phrase of verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So you notice what verse 9 does do in changing, it doesn't give us a benefit. It doesn't give us a result. It tells us how enduring and how righteous God's rules are. Righteous altogether. That's where we get our word precise. Perfectly precise. Righteous altogether is the right standard, but completely, perfectly righteous. Nothing that's not righteous that's what God's Word is. And the rules there, you may have a, a little footnote that goes with the rules. It's God's just decrees. When God passes down a judgment in the Word, through the Word, using the Word, what comes is true. True is that which conforms to reality. There are a lot of people who are living in a fantasy world. The world is a master of creating fake worlds. They have movies called avatars where you're living in a fake world. You can put virtual reality headsets on and live in a fake world. You can play fake football. We call it fantasy football or fantasy basketball or fantasy hockey or fantasy all kinds of stuff. And you can play fantasy stuff and that's fine. But for your life to be consumed with it, like you can't think about anything but your fantasy world, God's Word is going to shake you up and say, wait a minute, you're living in a fake world, and my just decrees are going, to, are going to be true, and they're going to help you conform to the way things really are, not a fantasy world. And the way things really are, this is a hard planet to live on. It's hard when we sin. It's hard when other people sin. And God's Word doesn't take the sin out of people's lives that it shows some raw stories here. 
that we, we look at and say, wow, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty bad, pretty cruel. But what God does with these people is he has just decrees. And those just decrees are true. They are perfectly precise. They are completely righteous. And as we read in the ESV, they are righteous altogether. And because of this, God's Word, how precise it is, is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, and it's sweeter than honey straight out of the honeycomb. David writes, Psalm 19, thousand years B.C., before Christ. Christ comes. I am way behind my notes. Sorry about that. All right, let's catch up. God's word is, God's fear is clean, so it endures forever, and God's just decrees are true, so they are perfectly, the perfectly precise standard. Someone once said, don't judge everything or the world based on what you see. Judge, judge the world and everything you see based on what the Bible says of what you see. We have to look at everything through the lens of Scripture. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. The world is deceitful and desperately wicked. Satan, our tempter, is deceitful and desperately wicked. We cannot trust our heart, we cannot trust the world, and we cannot trust Satan. They're going to confuse us, frustrate us, and try to get us to live in fantasy worlds where everything is crooked. Nothing is straight. Everybody is perverse. It's okay to lie. It's okay to live in immorality. It's okay to kill babies before they're born. It's okay to do all these wicked things. The world says, and God's word says, no, there is a precise standard. I did not leave you without a precise standard of what I expect of how to please me. And when we are looking at 2 Corinthians, and we'll get back to 2 Corinthians in two weeks, we'll see God's precise standard, again, of how to please the Lord. And uh, early church uh, struggled with this, but they were making progress. David writes, a thousand years before Christ, and what is Christ called in John 1? In the beginning was the Word. Why is Jesus called the Word? Jesus is called the Word, and let's look at Hebrews 1. Let's go to Hebrews 1. And this is our, be our last place to look at our, our Bibles. Hebrews 1. Jesus in John 1 is called the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the Word, and when you, you and I see Jesus, we are seeing a person who is living in perfect, precise standards that God has set out in the Old Testament. When you and I read the Old Testament, we would throw up our hands so quickly as the, as the Hebrews and anyone else trying to obey the Old Testament said, who in the world can keep all these rules? And when Jesus comes, 
He does keep all the rules perfectly. His life is the perfect standard of level and straight. Nothing perverse, nothing deceitful. Never once a lie came out of his mouth. That That blows our minds. And when God says, my word is precise, and then sends his son and calls his son the word, we should expect the standard that was laid out in Psalm 19 to match the life of Jesus. And what we'll see as we go through the New Testament this year, and you can compare it. Take Psalm 19, 7 to 9. And you compare it to the life of Jesus. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find this. Jesus is perfect. And Jesus is the one who causes the reviving. He is the one who restores the relationship of life with the Father. There is no one else that can do this. Jesus is the one who is sure, and he causes wisdom when we start living like him. Jesus is right, and he causes rejoicing. When you and I are right with Jesus, our hearts will rejoice. When we're not right with Jesus, we're not living like him, we're going to struggle. Jesus is pure, clean, Remember the term, radiant. And when we see him, you know what's going to happen to our faces? Our faces are going to be enlightened. Jesus is clean. And he endures forever. And Jesus is true. All of his judgments right. And he is perfectly precise. And as you and I see the New Testament, and we've only gotten into Matthew 16, you have seen all of these things so far in the first 16 chapters of your New Testament. And you'll see them in more and more detail. Because this is what God's Word does for us. And God's written Word and God's living Word, His Son, they match. They're the same. They do the same thing for you. They do the same thing for me. They do the same thing for a world who is in desperate need of reviving, a returning to God and restore the relationship. A world that is in desperate need of wisdom because they're wrecking their lives and everyone around them with foolishness. A world that is longing to rejoice but's looking in all the wrong places for happiness. A world that goes to work tomorrow and they need, there is nothing but, there's no light on their faces at all. Just sorrow and despair. Hopelessness. And what they're living for doesn't endure forever and it's not perfectly precise. It's deceitful. It's wicked. And what they need is the Word. What they need to see in us is a life that is living according to the Word. See, Jesus came as our example so that we would follow His footsteps, to 
to follow Jesus is to imitate his life. Look at how he treated people, sinners, repentant sinners. This is how we treat people. Look at how kind and gracious he is with people. This is how we treat people. We're in Hebrews 1, and it says in Hebrews 1, verse 1, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So we can list some of the names of the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, uh, Samuel, and all the Isaiah, Jeremiah prophets, Daniel. And God's speaking to these guys in many different ways, sometimes in in dreams or visions at night, sometimes during the day, sometimes he spoke to Balaam with a donkey. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets in many different ways and many times, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So the narrowing of revelation comes as God spoke his word to different people in different ways and different times. But now, Hebrews says, there's this funnel that goes toward one through one person. God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, perfect, precise, imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs i don't know about you but i want to read the rest of hebrews now like oh come on give give me more we don't have time or more right now. Jesus is the Word. When you see Jesus, you see the glory of God. It doesn't get more precise than a person who lived, and we have every detail about the life of Jesus that we need to convince us that God's Word, as precise in the Old Testament, is more precise in the New, if that's possible. And this is why we believe in what we call progressive revelation. See, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He's the living Word and perfectly and precisely followed the written Word. He is full of grace and truth. And in these last days, which we are living in, God spoke to humanity through His Son. So when the Word, Jesus, is the priority of our life, His powerful precision will give us what we could expect from David's Psalm 19. A vital relationship with God. That's what God's Word does for us. If you don't have a vital relationship with God, simply get in the Word. Turn off the Wi-Fi. Our technology has taken us away from our Savior. It's put us in our own little bubbles where we can control everything and we can entertain everything and we are sovereign. And that is not true. That's all deceitful. You need the sovereign God more than you know. 
and a relationship begins with Christ, and it just gets sweeter. Wisdom for decisions. You're not going to find wisdom for decisions apart from or better than God's precise word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians says. You don't have wisdom because you're not looking in the right place for it. Internal rejoicing. Do you wake every, every day and say, man, I'm so glad to be alive? Or do you wake up saying, oh man, another day. Ah. What will cause you to have internal rejoicing every day? God's Word. And only God's Word. He'll give you understanding eyes to look at the world. Understand where they're going. And your heart break. And be so thankful that God opened your eyes. And then, how do you know that you're on the right path? How do you know that your life leads to life and other people's doesn't? God's Word convinces us of this. It endures forever. We're on a path that leads to eternal life. How do we know? Because an eternal Word of God tells us that, and that Word endures forever. As the disciples go out into the world after Jesus dies, they're giving the world the same message that we're giving the world now, 2,000 years later. Why? We don't talk about any other 2,000-year-old book. Like, it's going to change your life. Socrates or Aristotle. Nope. It's not the Word. The Word is precise. It's timeless. It'll convince you if you're on the right path. And the Spirit of God inside of you is going to say, this is true. Follow this. Live like this. Don't live like this. So the life that prioritizes spending time in the Word can expect powerful precision that looks like a revived life with God, wisdom, internal rejoicing, understanding eyes which keeps enduring and it keeps convincing you that you are on the right path. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you know me, you know the Father. You know life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how precise it is. Even in Psalm 19 with David, how precise it was for all the prophets that loved it and lived it and longed to see what the disciples saw. And as we live now after we have a complete Bible, thank you so much for a complete word that will help us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Help us to look evermore up to expect your coming and be faithful. Help us to lay aside sin and weights that so easily distract us, so easily entangle us, so easily entertain us, and help us not to be entertained with fantasies. Help us to know you 
And I pray that you would encourage us as your church and show us fruit that looks like this as we spend time in your word this week and use us for your glory to reach out to many around us who are in desperate need of our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.